Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as mentioned before the break, I wanted to follow up with the senior senator from the state of Utah on uh, his social capital project that is uh, part of the Joint Economic Committee there in the United States Senate. I think it's some of the most important work uh, that's been done in the Senate uh, over the last several years. Senator, thanks for joining us today. Ah, Thanks so much, Boyd. Good to be with you as always. And happy happy Hanukkah today as well. We've got uh, Rabbi Zippel is going to be joining us next, and I know uh, you have a connection there as well. I love Hanukkah. It seems like a great holiday. I was always kind of envious of kids who got to celebrate Hanukkah growing up. Fun fun time of the year. Uh, Well, I wanted to get to Jennifer Graham from the Deseret News uh, wrote a great piece, How America Can Restitch the Fabric of Her Frayed Community Life. Uh, And she uses as really the essence of that, uh, a lot of the work, as I mentioned, uh, that you've been doing in terms of social capital. Uh, And in in an age where we're we're really social distancing, uh, we got to be socially, capitally connected, I think, if we're going to work our way through this. Tell us just a little bit about that project. Give us a little background. Yeah, so a few years ago, we started the Social Capital Project through the Joint Economic Committee, uh, uh, of which I'm the chairman. The Joint Economic Committee uh, is one of the few committees that contains both senators and members of the House of Representatives. It historically functioned as an internal think tank that gathered data about GDP growth, uh, tax rates, and their impact on economic growth, um, numbers, and things like that. Over time, it's continued to play an important role, but uh, all of this occurred prior to the rise of the modern think tank. You know, long before we had organizations like the Brookings Institution, the Heritage Foundation, Cato, and uh, so many other Washington, D.C. think tanks that measure all these numbers. So we wanted to expand the the role of the Joint Economic Committee to measure things that other people haven't been measuring, to try to figure out how human beings interact, recognizing the fact that not all of the indicators of human flourishing can be measured in terms of economic growth or tax rates, many of them have to do with our relationships as individuals, with how we interact with other human beings, or what we call our social connectedness. Uh, that is itself an indicator of a, a lot of how people are doing. We're trying to improve that. We're trying to identify ways in which the government might be impairing that and then repair those problems. That's mm. such important work. And uh, so, so many of the things that have come out of that project uh, – I think are trying to balance that uh, role of government and the proper role of government, uh, balancing that with this idea that if if government does too much, then that uh, social capital muscle starts to atrophy and communities start to break down. Yes, it's exactly what has happened. And, you know, although the term social capital um, has been around for over a century, it um, – didn't really get much attention until about 20 years ago when a social scientist named Robert Putnam 
published uh, an award-winning book called Bowling Alone. Uh, Bowling Alone started to kind of revolutionize the way we think about social science and started revolutionizing uh, America's interest in the fact that over time, many Americans have become more detached from each other. Uh, Over the last few decades, you've seen a decline, not only in marriage rates, uh, uh, but also in the rate at which people join churches, uh, become civically involved, become active in their neighborhood activities and things like that. That, in turn, is contributing to a whole host of other problems. So as we try to measure social connectedness, uh, we're also trying to identify some of the things government might be doing to discourage it and to punish it and thereby harm people. Uh, We recognize that the government can't create institutions of civil society. It can harm them. And so we can reduce some of that harm and, and allow civil society to repair itself. Uh, I think that's so uh, so vital. And again, in looking at uh, kind of the therefore what of it all, what do, what do we then do? I know that leads to to policy discussions and, and critical thinking in terms of how we're approaching some of the problems of our time. Uh, I know a couple of the areas that you have been going after uh, as part of the Social Capital Project, uh, looking at the breakdown of the family and, and that impact, uh, but also even looking at things uh, like charitable giving and how that plays in and what can be, what's the proper role of government to encourage uh, that kind of charitable giving and, and community connectedness? As government has expanded. We've seen a simultaneous reduction in charitable contributions, particularly as it relates to the distribution of those who make charitable contributions. In other words, as the federal government has continued to spend more and more money, you still see charitable contribution going on, but it tends to be more focused among the very wealthy. Uh, Whereas it used to be that uh, rich and poor alike uh, uh, tended to make a lot of charitable contributions, regardless of their income level. There are a number of reasons uh, why this might happen. Some might say it's not necessarily causation. It might just be correlation. I, I think there is uh, certainly correlation, but probably causation as well. But there are some things that we can do to alleviate that. One of them is to increase the incentives or diminish the disincentives for poor middle-class Americans to make charitable contributions. It's one of the reasons why I've been pushing for reform that would place charitable contributions by those who take the standard deduction. In other words, uh, you know, uh, people of, of relatively modest income who choose the standard deduction in filing their income taxes. Um, you put that above the line, and all of a sudden, you will see more charitable contribution uh, across the board. That's good for our charitable organizations throughout the country, and it's good for the American people as a whole. Fantastic. Senator Mike Lee, senior senator from Utah, uh, joining us today talking about uh, social capital. Uh, It's great work. If you haven't checked that out yet, you can go to uh, his website at lee.senate.gov and go to the Joint Economic Committee. Uh, There's just wonderful insight, results, uh, white papers, uh, just some, some great work, which I know Senator has given you a uh, a little bit of a respite from uh, some of the other uh, shenanigans going on there in Washington, D.C. lately. Yeah, you know, these days it's all sunshine and lollipops, not much contention here. Uh, but uh, on days when it does get contentious, uh, the Social Capital Project certainly is a welcome respite. 
Well, it's good. And you got a you got a great model right here in the state of Utah as uh, as a great window in, window out, uh, as you look at exploring some of those uh, critical connections in the country. No, that's exactly right. And, in fact, when we started measuring these things uh, without doing anything to rig the test or try to predetermine the outcome, um, we discovered that uh, Utah's social capital score is the highest in the country. Uh, uh, people in Utah, regardless of their faith, regardless of their background or where they live in the state, are more likely, on average, to be connected with their neighborhoods, their friends, their communities, and others around them. That, in turn, leads to better, healthier life outcomes and a, a more enjoyable life. Awesome. Fantastic. Senator Mike Lee joining us. Thanks for uh, carving out a little bit of time on a Thursday today. Travel safe and uh, happy Hanukkah. Thanks so much, Boyd. Good to talk to you All as right. always. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Senator. All right. We'll go ahead and step aside for a bottom of the hour break. When we come back, we will pick up a conversation about Hanukkah. Uh, Rabbi Zippo will join us next. Don't miss it. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.